0: The Start On On Demand.
1: The Winnipeg Jets open their season with a loss. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers hoping to avoid another loss. We'll talk to Kelly Moore on hockey and Bob Irving on football. Some are calling for the closure of the Liquor Mart downtown on Ellis, saying it will help with addictions and crime, but others are pushing back, saying it won't help anything and it'll just kick that can down the road. A section of Keniston is closing this weekend. Why? What are some unnecessary social norms that bug you? McNabb likes to chat in the elevator. And why was Chris Jericho, Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho, wearing a New York Rangers jersey? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, October 4th podcast for The Start. Greg Mackling, the Winnipeg Jets opened the season yesterday with a 6-4 loss versus the New York Rangers. Entertaining
0: game. But I don't know if I'm more disappointed with what happened on the ice last night, <laughs> or the blasphemy which took place in the stands at Madison Square Garden. Oh, what? what
2: blasphemy. That's a harsh. That's a harsh word. Press
0: the clip. Play the clip. <laughs> See that number 27, Teddy Urban's number. My dad, who played for the New York Rangers for five years, from '70 70 to '75, and here I am at the season opener of the New York Rangers versus the Winnipeg Jets. Here in Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, the AEW Le Champion is here. It's very apropos. World's most famous arena, world's most famous wrestler, right here. AEW champion, New York Rangers, we're both winners, baby! And don't forget, number 27 in the program, number one in your hearts. Oh yeah!
1: Chris Jericho, Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho, wearing a New York Rangers jersey. Greg's shaking his head right now. Did you see this picture, McNabb, of
2: Jericho? Yeah, I saw it going around last night. So does he live there? Like what's his allegiance to the Rangers? Like what where is he? I believe Is like, he, have he a lives, home there?
1: I believe he lives in Florida. Lives in yeah. Florida, but he was born in New York.
2: Okay. In
0: Manhasset, New York. And because his dad, uh Isaac Brockgrad, by the way, Ted Irvin, NHL player, played for the Rangers. And mm-hmm. so That's where his allegiance is there, but we've always been under the impression that Chris Jericho is the world's biggest Winnipeg Jets fan.
2: Can't he be both? I
0: don't
1: know if you can be both. Well, and I got a message on Instagram. I believe that you cannot be both. I got a message on Instagram from uh, DJ030, and he he says, not sure you should use Fozzy, Chris Jericho's band, as an opening song anymore. I thought Chris was a Jets fan. Traitor. Wow. But here's the thing. As we, we heard in the video, he's honoring his father by wearing the Rangers jersey. I think we can give him a pass on that.
2: I think so, too. We can be both. You can be both, Greg. It's okay.
1: Well, right. at, at you, when you throw in the fact that Ted
0: Irvin is from my neighborhood at Isaac Brock Community Center, we used to have a picture of Ted Irvin in the in the front room where we would all change our skates, we, along with Andy Van Helamond and uh, some of the other NHL alumni from our part of the city. I, I think I'm better with it this morning than i was last night how's that we won't be ditching fozzy quite yet as the uh, opening song we mentioned just yesterday that it was time for us to have chris jericho on the show maybe we should reach out to him over the weekend we can sort this out
1: uh before we move on with what we've got coming up here yesterday okay i had some sleeping adventures yesterday and this morning first adventure yesterday we had a meeting at work uh the late it started at 4 15 so that ended up for us we had to come back uh, and i didn 't get a nap in from when I left from recording the couch potatoes to to coming back. no big deal, whatever uh, it 's not the end of the world but i 'm so i 'm standing along the wall as this meeting is happening, and I fell asleep <laughs> on my feet. I almost <laughs> fell over. I had to stop myself before I put my hand over and had to lean on producer Kyle, who was standing right beside me. I just kind of nodded off for a second, and I thought, well, I think that might be the very first time that 's ever happened And then this morning. Uh, instead of going home and going to bed at a decent time, I stayed up and watched TV. I think it was like 11 o'clock. It was the last thing I remember. Next thing I know, I'm sitting on the couch. I look down at my phone. It's 3.19 a.m. Didn't know what day of the week it was. So luckily I woke up just on time without an alarm, and then I, I got up, went to the washroom, came back to grab my phone, and it died. So my phone on its last breath Told me what time it was. Oh, my gosh. And I got up and made it to work just a couple of minutes later than I would have liked. So, Oh, I uh, saw you
2: tweet that out, Brett, and it reminded me that the other day, just, just about how tired you were, and it reminded me the other day that I came home and went to warm up a plate of food in, in the microwave yeah. and tried to put it in the cupboard next to the microwave, like, twice. <laughs> like, I was, like, standing there so tired, and I reached, and I'm like... <laughs> They both have handles. That's like the, the the only similarities between them. And I'm like, this isn't fitting. And I realized like in my tiredness, I'm trying to jam this plate of food into the spice rack. Basically, <laughs> I was like, okay, you need to go to bed. Forget this meal. Just go to bed. Oh, you didn't even have the pasta. Yeah, I just was like, you're you're done. You're gonna hurt yourself like, when you're when you're at that mode when you're trying to jam plates of food into the non microwave. You gotta you gotta quit. At
0: least you were in the right room of the house, so <laughs> the, so there's that accomplishment. But did you just say pasta?
2: I said pasta. Is it pasta?
0: I don't know because my buddy Scott was up from California this past weekend, and we went out for supper, and I had a pasta dish, and he goes pasta. He goes, it's pasta. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go.
1: So is it pasta or is it pasta?
0: No, I
2: think it's pasta. I don't know why I said pasta. I think maybe, I, maybe I'm I, just I said trying it. to... You said you pasta. Said
1: yeah, I think I said pasta.
2: And I repeated you. Yeah. See, I'm so tired, I'll just repeat whatever Brett says, apparently.
1: <laughs> we're, we're in the parroting mode this morning. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, Loren, it is one of the busiest liquor stores in the province.
2: But as far as the provincial liberal leader is concerned, that liquor store on Ellis Avenue should be closed. It's not the first time we've heard someone suggest the downtown liquor store is potentially contributing to a problem drinking or a drinking problem or maybe even crime. But as Global's Eric Pandera explains, the Crown Corporation Liquor and Lotteries is pushing back.
3: Dustin Harper bought a bottle of sherry at the Ellis & Hargrave Liquor Mart Thursday, and he thinks people who drink
4: cheap
0: booze would just go elsewhere if this store was shuttered. It won't change. It won't change at all. They're just going to move on to another liquor store. Liberal leader Dougal Lamont
3: has called on liquor and lotteries to close the store, criticizing the Crown Corporation for profiting on the backs of the city's most vulnerable. It's not just a question of thinking, well, if we close this down, everything's going to be fine. Uh, we need to have. We need to make sure that we're doing a better job of uh, providing people with addictions treatment. There's a Liquor Mart in City Place Mall a few blocks south. Proposed location in True North Square and four beer vendors nearby. A public health researcher says Lamont's policy could make sense, but needs to be coupled with treatment.
5: If you've got the store there and you know that selling cheap alcohol is an indicator of a problem, then focus interventions could be actually targeted at uh, getting fewer people to buy that kind of alcohol.
3: Manitoba Liquor and Lottery says it would stop selling cheap sherry if they thought it would prevent people from overconsuming alcohol. Rather, they think those customers will just get a different product, go to a different store, or consume something even more dangerous like mouthwash. The Crown Corporation also notes people with alcohol dependency shop at all of its stores and private alcohol vendors province-wide. Eric Pandera, Global News.
1: So this Sherry, this this particular location sells way more of this. Sherry than oh. any other location, by like mm-hmm. by hundreds, thousands, it, it's right? It's Thousands
2: of bottles difference from one location to the other. Yeah, and it's, it's a higher alcohol sherry, right? In the sense of it being cheap, it also has more alcohol content in it. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I believe so. If it's like fortified or something like that, um, and in the video, in the story of, for, that Eric did, you saw empty bottles sort of scattered on the ground outside that location, but. I guess, yeah, if you close that, they'll just probably go somewhere else. Well, uh, well, unless maybe
0: at at this point they need to really seriously consider whether they need to carry that product altogether. What's the point? You know, who else is consuming it? (sighs) desperate times call for desperate measures
2: we're working on getting some further voices on this but i have been communicating with someone who works with people with substance abuse addictions at street links st Boniface street links and marianne willis tells me she wouldn't be in favor of this that's not the answer and it's it's like parenting people that still doesn't fix the problem when you tell someone no
1: Right now we want to talk about unnecessary social norms. This is a conversation that Hal Anderson started yesterday. And Loren, you guys concocted an idea, a scheme to send our intrepid reporter Clay Young into the wilderness to learn about small talk, Right.
2: Well, sometimes I think when Clay walks into the Nero's room, you this thing goes through your head where it's like, what can we get him to do today that would be hilarious? And uh, jumping in an elevator, riding it up and down with people, you know, it hits that list.
1: All right, let's see what happened at 201 Portage. Are you good at small talk
5: and elevators? Uh, not really. No? No. Are you ready for the uh, jet season? Yes, I am. Are you and I uh, still going up? Yes. Oh, so the goody. 18, I'm going to the oh, did you have a good summer? Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Are you from Winnipeg? Yes. Born and raised in Winnipeg. What do you think of the big issues in town? Uh, big issues are is Buffalo going to play or not? That's what interests me. And the rest of it is the politics and how things are going to work out with, uh, with uh, Trudeau and his, and his crew. Are you a big uh, uh, winter guy? You like winter? No. You we're, hate winter? No, we're leaving for the winter. Oh, where are you going? At Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Well, Golden Knights. Straight on. Are you good at small talk? Well, yeah, once in a while. Kind of weather, you know. If you know people well, there may be something more than that. Are people polite to you? But definitely, yeah. This building nice. Nice tenant. nice clients. Well, you're a security guard, so people sometimes call on you for help. But when they call, I helped them. You know what? I love that outfit.
6: You're catching people in elevators?
5: Yes, I'm catching people in elevators. Believe it or not. Are you good at small talk in elevators?
6: I know, usually can be.
5: What do you like to talk about?
6: Well, I mean, depends on how the jets are doing or the weather or current affairs.
5: Is this your stop?
6: I am supposed to be getting it. Oh,
5: well, you've been very polite. Okay. okay, thanks. Now we're trapped on this elevator. <laughs> so now what else should we talk about?
6: Oh, geez.
5: Fall um, in the election.
6: Well, I'm actually going to be a poll clerk this year. So. Oh, yeah. good for you. Yeah.
5: Is that exciting?
6: Yeah, not really. I did a poll count or um, election vote counting, I guess, for the provincial one, which was okay. for me that I found
5: fairly. My name is Clay. What's your name? Jacinta. Ah, nice meeting you.
6: It says from a small town. Oh, what to small town? St. I mean, Rose.
5: St. Rose, yeah. of course. St. Rose de Alaska. That's the one. Are you good at small talk in elevators? No, I'm not. <laughs> I usually just look at my feet. There well, you're, okay. you're dressed impeccably today. Well, thank you very much. What do you think of the weather? I think it
0: sucks. What about those Jets? Well, concerned about the defense and looking forward to the season. And how about those Bombers? Uh, Very concerned about them
5: (laughs) overall. Are you keeping an eye on the federal election? Uh, A little bit. Well, you and I have had a great conversation. Take care. Don't don't get crushed by those elevator doors. Are you good at small talk on elevators? No. We're going to get off the elevator. Well, then I'm all alone with you. Are you good at small talk on elevators? I'm okay. What should we talk about? Uh, what do you think of the weather? It's not so good. <laughs> okay, you have a good day.
0: Do we as much uh, send Clay out on assignment as uh, sick him on society?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a social experiment <laughs> to see how people are going to react. But, you know, the conversation started because it was a list of things that are social norms or etiquette and the things that bother you. And I think there's two types of people. You either get in an elevator kind of put your head down or look at your phone, or you get in like me and you see who wants to talk. I love talking in elevators. How about really?
0: With the clerk? How about with the clerk at the uh, grocery store when you're paying for your stuff? Yep. Do you just oh, head yep. down or is it a, a whole chit-chat session going chit-chat. on?
2: I love a good chit-chat.
1: Why do you like the, the elevator small talk?
2: Because I think, so first of all, and you guys will notice this when we move downtown, so there's 30-plus floors at 201 Portage, and so you have a long ride. It's also a good gauge on like how people are feeling. It's how you start your day. So you want to get in and kind of be in a, you know, get your mood up. And so when you get in there and someone's got their head down and everyone's kind of making these weird moans or just sort of look depressed, it's it frustrates me. So I it's almost like a challenge. Like I will start complimenting people on their shoes or start talking about the weather just to see if I can get a smile. It's like you're not going to stand here in silence for the next two minutes. It bugs me. So I want them to talk.
1: I find either... To be awkward. I find the silence to be awkward because you almost feel this obligation to say something. It's just weird standing there with another mm-hmm. human being and being quiet. But then if they start talking, like I got on the elevator yesterday in my apartment, and, and naturally the guy says, Oh, this weather. And I said, Well, it looks like it might warm up. and And then we started talking about, he was saying, I. well you can't call it the the late summer what we used to call it you can't call it that anymore and then I was trying to remember what we what is the acceptable term now uh, when we get the the late warmth surge in the fall Um, bonus summer extra summer yeah (laughs) Well, yeah, you can't term the use the old term because it's racist. But uh, so he was going on about that, and then I was just struggling to to keep that going. <laughs> uh, so I just I I'm super awkward, I guess. I'd rather just ride up the elevator by myself. Well, the default position is just to
0: sit there or stand there more appropriately, and you, you just watch the numbers counting down. And it's like it's the version of television. Got to have something that's moving. It's the closest thing to digital anything. <laughs> and then of course everybody has their phones, but. Oh, the elevator is the one place where your phone quite often fails you and does not work. So you might be forced to actually have somewhat of a conversation. Perish the
2: thought. But that's the other part that happens in those long elevator rides. I can't tell you how many times someone gets on the phone and steps into the elevator and tries to continue the conversation, (laughs) right? For like a good 10, 15 floors. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, are you there? You're there. Oh, it's not working. That's weird. And you're and then I'm always it's like, no, it's weird. not weird, sir. It like all the it's time. not supposed to work in the elevator, plus your conversation is annoying the rest of us.
1: <laughs> so I put a post on Facebook. Uh, what do you think is an unnecessary social norm? So we would love to get you to weigh in on Facebook. You can also weigh in on our 680 C J O B Instagram story. We've asked a question there. Or of course you can text us, 204-780-6868, and we're gonna Gather the troops and have a conversation about this in a moment. But before we do that, I found a video on YouTube. How to pronounce pasta types with a real Italian. This is the, what the video is okay. called. And here's what he says.
6: Today, we are learning how to
1: pronounce pasta like we Italian like to say it. Pasta. Real Italian. How to pronounce
2: pasta, 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 pasta. So pasta, right? With the a no paw, like a dog's paw. What? Is that what I'm hearing? I heard pasta. pasta.
1: No, he's Pasta. He's saying pasta. <laughs> so it's not it's not like a hard pasta, but it's I'm not there's confused. no there's no pasta. It's like pasta. It's sort of in between. Yeah. But he has an accent. Well yeah, he's Italian.
0: Yes. And we going that- to learn how to say it in English. He, he, was, speaking he English. was
2: speaking English with an
0: Italian accent. It's like if you asked Timu Solani how to say his name, it wouldn't say sound like Timu or Solani at all. Well
1: that that goes back to what Eve always talks about when he drives him nuts when we say Notre Dame. You're just, yes so you're, you're looking so in other words, you want to learn how to say it in lazy? I just want to say it in English. That's all I want.
2: (laughs) It was English. That was English.
1: Someone's taking uh, uh, our
0: pasta-pasta conversation and raising us a Graham versus Graham conversation. Oh, Oh. yeah.
2: Graham.
1: Graham. Yeah, Yeah, and and, and specifically with Graham Avenue, it's Graham, not Graham. Uh, And they reference that a lot of Americans say Graham. But in Winnipeg's case, it's Graham Avenue. And it's also Graham Cracker Crust. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, if you are just tuning in, we just played some audio from Clay Young. You went to 201 Portage yesterday, took a ride in the elevator just to engage in small talk with people because Hal Anderson started a conversation yesterday on Hal Anderson Afternoons on what do you think is unnecessary, but you do it because of social norms. This is uh, something he saw on Reddit. One of them is the elevator small talk. So, Jeff Braun, I want to start with you. Uh, yeah, right. Because uh, I have a feeling that <laughs> I you don't have some go in thoughts. for elevator small talk. Yeah. No. Is it what is so? Is there a, another particular social norm?
3: Uh, it's it just, it's nothing specific, but in general, the I don't I have no problem with being polite and ma- good manners and that sort of thing. But I think we go f- way too far with the, all the little niceties, the not not necessarily the please and thank yous, but the. However many times a day you say I'm sorry to somebody, <laughs> however many times a day you say hello to somebody when you're passing them even though you've seen them five times that day already, yeah. things like that, that gets on my nerves. I feel it's just – if we took the energy we expend on that and put it into something like finding the cure for cancer or something, we could really change the world. <laughs> like I feel I feel <laughs> like, like, it's, that. For while, like it's up to 10 percent of the day is just doing stuff like that where – is, well, like when you meet somebody and so you're trying to get around them, but you both go the same way. Oh, oh no, uh, uh. It's just, just one of you just go. Just push <laughs> the
7: other person out of the way.
3: don't to go that far, but Whoa. you know what I mean. It's just <laughs> stuff like that. It gets on my nerves real fast.
1: Yeah, well, that was one of them, saying good morning to co-workers. This person says, I am not a morning person, so it really bugs me that I have to fake that sort of cheerfulness in the mornings.
0: I'm guilty. I say good morning to you guys every morning, and sometimes I wonder if Jeff would just prefer that I not
1: no, I
3: don't mind it. I do, I. You don't need to say it again at 10 o'clock after I see it. Yeah, you do know, no, say, hey, don't. Jeff. It's, and it's, like, once, like, yeah, it's hey one and done. One,
8: yeah. and done. one and done. Kelly? Uh, well, we are in the communication business, so, I don't know, communicating probably isn't such a bad thing. But we're supposed to be yeah. efficient with said <laughs> communication, I think, is what Jeff Braun is trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Well, no, I I don't know. Like, I, uh, I'm i just an old fuddy-duddy. And, uh, I yes, you are, bird, by I, the way. <laughs> yeah. I I just don't get where the things that annoy people these days. I, j- I just, I honestly do not get it. Uh, you know, if if uh, saying good morning to a co-worker is annoying or uh, if uh, saying hello to someone who you don't know in the elevator is uh, not considered uh, socially correct, well, you know, that's... That's not going to stop me from doing it. I, I remember when we went to London back in 2013 where no one talked to anyone on the tube and then we happened to run into some fellow Canadians. We're having this conversation with them and all of these Londoners are looking at us <laughs> as if we were aliens <laughs> awesome. from another planet. You talk to each other. You acknowledge one another. You get to know each other. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that, seriously, that was the vibe that we got. That's fascinating. Greg,
1: yeah. one of the things on this list is is thank you cards, specifically large-scale writing of them, like a wedding or such. Honestly, it's such a waste of paper and time, and personally, I don't care if people send them to me.
0: I like the thank you card that's not on the large scale, the one
1: that comes out of the blue
0: versus the large-scale one. You know that they sat at the kitchen table, cracked their knuckles, and sat down and... Tried to think of something nice to say to each and every one of the folks that brought them a gift or something that's almost obligatory. I like the one that comes out of the blue. And I think that's a lost art, the idea of that physical thank you card for not no reason but for an unexpected reason, McNabb.
2: My sister actually carries thank you cards with her and then she'll leave them at people's houses if she stays and she'll sometimes hide them. And it's actually a nice thing like three days or six days or a week after your her visit, you'll find the card in your purse or she might tuck it under your pillow or whatever. And it's just a nice way to, she always has a note from the kids and she says, thanks for, she highlights a couple of things from the trip that she loved or thanks for this meal or thanks for that. And I think it's a sweet, the sweetest gesture because it's going out of your way to do something that a lot of people don't do anymore. I like the thank you card. Card. I get what you're saying about the wholesale one, where you know it's like an obligatory thank you, as opposed to just a genuine thanks. That was a great time, but uh, that is a lost art for sure.
8: Yeah, or the digital thank you card. Like nothing says sincerity like a <laughs> like thank a digital you. thank you in a different font. Thank you in a different font, <laughs> yeah. Kelly.
0: For uh, Jeff Fortune, you look like you're champing at the bit here. Um, for me, it's eye contact. I don't like making eye contact. It makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh my
2: gosh, really?
0: Yes, well, plus, I also have sensitive eyes, so they go red. (laughs) And so I, I've actually had it in high school where I've taken a sip of ginger ale and because the carbonation, it's made my eyes go red. And I've actually been pulled out of class and asked, Jeff, were you staying healthy at lunch? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I swear.
0: I've also been cutting onions when I was working at my pizza job there. I was cutting onions and I go up to the till somebody came in. And I'm
2: squinting because, you know, yep. onions. And uh, and she goes, <laughs> she, she's staring at me. And, and I, I look at her and I was like, oh, sorry, I was just cutting onions. And she goes. Mhm. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> so teenager working at a pizza Aww. joint
1: looks baked. You're baking the pizza and getting baked. <laughs> That's That's what what ski goggles like for Chase. Oh. Ski goggles will do it. <laughs> Well, let us know at 204-780-6868 what you think is an unnecessary social norm. You can also weigh in on Facebook. You can weigh in on Instagram. Another thing in this list that made me chuckle, only drink in the afternoon. I'd love drinking two beers before a Saturday of cleaning, but I think people would be concerned. But if I had six beers at 5 p.m., no one would bat an eye. Keniston. It's going to be closed for at least a chunk of it over the weekend.
2: Yeah, and it's technically a short stretch that's closed, but starting tonight, that could lead to some long delays for anyone who's driving down that stretch this weekend. So starting at 7 p.m., Kenniston Boulevard between Lawson Crescent and Rothwell Road will be completely closed to northbound and southbound traffic. Ken Allen is with the City of Winnipeg and joins us now to explain what's happening. Good morning, Ken.
4: Yeah, good morning, everybody.
2: So this is all due to some something that needs to be fixed with the rail crossing. Is that right? Tell us about it.
4: Sure. Well, you know, anybody who's been driving down this stretch of Keniston lately knows that uh, when you come to those tracks, it's a bit of a bumpy ride. So we've got a railway crossing construction project going on this weekend. So we have to close down a section of uh, Keniston between Lawson and Rothwell um, for the weekend. And we're going to be uh, improving that railway crossing. We're going to be replacing the tracks and, uh, doing some pavement repairs there, so it should be smooth sailing after the weekend.
0: So, Ken, the uh, result sounds desirable, but the pain that we'll be suffering in the meantime, maybe not so much. Will all four lanes, two lanes in each direction be closed for that entire time?
4: That's right. You know, it's going to be short-term pain for a long-term pain. We're going to be closing all the lanes down on Keniston in that stretch. And uh, we're recommending that motorists, you know, allow additional travel time, kind of plan their routes this weekend, and use uh, alternative streets like Waverly or the highway uh, over the weekend uh, to get around while we get this work done as quickly as we can.
1: Now, transit reroutes are going to be in effect as well. How, but how significant of a detour is that going to be?
4: Well, I think it's going to be it's going to be a minimal type of a detour. Uh, you know, we want people to uh, double-check with uh, Transit about uh, their schedules, but for sure, uh, you know, those transit buses are going to be detouring around the work, and we're going to get a still be getting people to their destinations
0: i'm just imagining it all in my head uh people on the west side that want to get to that keniston common area keniston McGilvery might want to go maybe uh even the perimeter to McGilvery to come back up from the south or or be creative uh, that way and then if you're coming from the north side i guess waverly and and or pembina are your best options to to get to mcgillivray at that point ken
4: so sure. you know, you, you, we really are recommending people to car- sort of think ahead, you know, plan their routes accordingly, you know, allow that additional travel time, and use Waverly or Pemina to get around. And uh, you know, we've got the Waverly underpass open now, the uh, the underpass on Pemina, at Jubilee is now uh, open, wide open. So uh, we're thinking that those routes will be good alternatives for motorists.
1: That Pemina, by the way, just uh, that that's all finished.
4: Yes, it is. You've got to drive through there. It's looking really good down on Pemina and Jubilee.
1: Well, we drove Greg and I did drive through it the other day, and I just thought, like, is, is this actually done? Like, there's no, nothing... Like, you're not going back for anything else?
4: <laughs> well, I think there's still some some minor work to do. We go back and we sometimes do uh, some of the landscaping in the springtime after the winter's done. But uh, Pemina's looking wide open. I drive it every day, and, uh, and uh, it's smooth sailing down Pemina.
0: Ken, did you get the lines painted?
4: I believe they're
0: working on that. All right. Excellent. So, Ken Allen, uh, thank you for the update on this. Uh, And I think you've put it very well, short-term pain for long-term gain. You have a great weekend. And uh, if anything crazy happens over the weekend, this gets delayed, what have you, please let us know.
1: Yeah, absolutely will do. Thanks so much. All right, Ken Allen from the City of Winnipeg joining us live on 680 CJOB. So once again, starting at 7 p.m., Keniston Boulevard between Lowson Crescent and Rothwell Road will be completely closed to northbound and southbound traffic until 11 p.m. on Sunday. Keniston's a pain any time, really.
2: This is going to be a nightmare, I think. And I and I get it. Short-term pain, long-term game. It has to happen. But you're going to get yourself, before you even get to that point, you're going to be in trouble, right? You might not even be going that far. But the backup there, I think, will be big for people trying to figure out how to get around that stretch.
0: And if you're going to Cirque to Soleil, you'll really want to be thinking ahead if you're coming from certain parts of the city. Oh, God.
1: Yes. Never thought about that. Yeah. yeah. That's already a challenge just getting out of there. Never mind uh, getting into it now. That's going to be a pain, too. So 204 uh, 780 if you have any suggestions on ways around it, I guess. Helicopter. Yeah, helicopter. Yeah, probably the
0: most practical.
1: I just try to avoid Route 90 at all
0: costs. Well, that's the best idea yet, but I'm sure the merchants of that stretch probably that's don't right. like the idea that you're not coming at all.
2: Yeah, you got it. The businesses need to stay open. And, you know, I even tried to navigate some of the construction around the Polar Park area yesterday to try to get to Indigo Bookstore and Empress is only, is oh, kind of closed. Yeah. It's one way traffic. And then you actually can't physically turn left at one point. And so I found myself cut, cutting through this mud filled parking lot. By the winners, where Target, the superstore, or the sorry, the super Target used to be. And uh, this construction guy's like, What are you doing in here? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to get some books, I'm trying to get over there, right? And so if you find yourself just running errands, that's what happens. And that's what's going to happen to people on Keniston this weekend.
0: Saturday Night Live used to have a skit, I think they did it once, the Jeopardy with the traffic in Boston and the directions from one part of Boston to the other. And eventually, one of the answers was, You can't get there from here. <laughs> (laughs)
1: Hey, uh, Riley texted us at 706 saying crash on westbound Nairn Avenue right in front of the McDonald's so Nairn Avenue westbound crash right in front of the McDonald's Riley thank you for that tip also Kristen texting saying I'm with Fortier eye contact is the worst I cannot do it so people always think I am a liar liar pants on fire
3: Must be for a Gerard Butler
1: movie, Scottish oh, bagpipes. The Butler verse, as Jeff Braun <laughs> likes to call it. Uh, for those who have not, don't listen to the couch potatoes. Jeff Braun, <laughs> in recent months, he's hated Gerard Butler. Loren McNabb, do you like Gerard Butler?
2: No, I like him. Like I don't. Have, I'm indifferent.
1: Yeah. Okay. Then that that's fair. But Jeff, hey, pay had, closer attention next time. Is. <laughs> Jeff had okay. this hatred for Gerard <laughs> Butler, but for some reason in recent months he has descended into the Butlerverse and yeah. has gone out of his way to watch Gerard Butler movies. I
3: watched and have been reviewing some of the old ones on the Couch Potatoes, just taking a couple minutes to do that, but I watched one recently that I didn't even bring up to you on our show this week, The, the Ugly Truth, the rom-com with Katherine Heigl oh my from God. 10 years ago. That's, oh, it took me three sittings to get through that one. Oh, That looks horrible. It is bad. You should have given up after the first (laughs) attempt. I got to I'm not, I, once I start something, I like to finish it. I got to see how it ends. Well, and
1: yeah, he's got dedication in watching bad stuff. Like what's, we talk about it on the couch potatoes, but there's a show on Netflix that some are describing as the worst show
3: ever. (laughs) I'm watching it. It's Loren's favorite new, new favorite show. (laughs) I came into
2: work. I came into work. Was it last week, Jeff? And I said, Jeff, you have to watch the show because it's so bad. it's so bad what is it it's the island and uh it's like it's like it feels like they're trying to be lost and all these people just wake up on this island uh dressed in the same outfit they don't they're they don't know why they're there or even who they are but they also don't seem to care like there's zero (laughs) effort made to try to be like oh well who are you or how did we get here or does anyone remember crashing a plane or it's just so bad
1: (laughs) And how many episodes, Jeff, have you uh, watched? There's
3: seven, I think. I've only I've seen three so far. And oh I'm, my word. Yeah. I, so I don't funny. I actually I don't know that I'll finish that, but I probably will. How many eventually. episodes
1: have you watched, Lauren?
2: No, I got twenty-two minutes in and we shut it off. We were like, this is horrible. But then I was like, I'm gonna make Jeff Braun watch this.
1: And he will. He'll do the whole thing. The moral right. of
0: the story is Lauren McNabb is a better salesperson than she is a consumer.
1: <laughs> 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 All right. So there's one big movie this weekend. Jeff Braun, what is it called? It's called Joker.
7: Arthur, I have some bad news for you.
0: <laughs>
2: this is the last time we'll be meeting.
5: You don't listen, to do
7: you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? have my negative thoughts.
3: Joaquin Phoenix stars as Arthur, and a lot of people pick on Arthur, and it's starting to have an effect on him. One of those people, a talk show host played by Robert De Niro, whom Arthur idolizes, until he makes fun of his stand-up comedy.
5: And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian,
0: everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now.
2: You can say
3: that again, pal. And then he becomes a Joker, right, Fred?
1: <laughs> and then he becomes the Joker. <laughs> yeah, so I reviewed this yesterday, but in case you missed it, I saw it on Wednesday. And uh, if I, I really believe that even though it's set to break a box office record this weekend there the the speculation is it will break Venom's record from last year that's uh, like October. an October
3: movie okay yeah
1: box office record for October uh, I think a lot of people are probably gonna walk out of there very disappointed if they haven't watched the trailers because a lot of people do not like watching trailers yep or any of the marketing because trailers Sometimes give away the farm a lot of the time, like a uh, Terminator that Terminator Genesis movie that came out a couple of years ago they the big twist of the movie was in the trailer. <laughs> uh, Castaway did that as well Well, sort wasn't of. that the whole premise of uh like what was that? What did they give away in Castaway?
3: They show him alive on a plane, asking what did they put in his coffin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like, oh well, I guess he gets off the island.
1: Yeah. So, but so a lot of people don't like to watch trailers. They just like to go in fresh. And if they go in expecting this to be the Batman version of Joker, that's not what this is. So if you if that's what you're looking for, you might want to look elsewhere because this is not some kind of a wacky crime caper. This is a very dark disturbing character dive about a mentally ill man who is systematically beaten down figuratively and literally by society until he snaps and then becomes the man who will one day be the batman super villain and it's rated r it's rated r it is violent
3: don't let your grandkids trick you into taking you to this movie on the weekend i see that sometimes at theaters or there's it seems like a like a a grandma and a like a six year old boy, and I was like, uh, this "What does is is the R? Well.
0: What does the R apparently stand for if not restricted?"
3: Yeah, I know. How do you talk? Well, how do you work that way? Technically, it's not an R. That's an American thing. R's would be eighteen A. Oh, whatever. okay. Yeah,
1: actually, I'm just going to pull up what the rating would be for a Joker in uh, in Canada. Uh, would it be? I'm, guess- I'm guessing it would be eighteen A. Where might is? be
3: fourteen A. You never case. know. We're yeah. a little bit more laid back than the state sometimes in those things. Well, well in this case, you're in suggesting Quebec it's rated G because almost every movie is. Seriously, really? <laughs> yes. Isn't that something? <laughs>
1: I can't seem to find it here. But anyway, it's violent. You there there are some some rather brutal violent scenes. Nothing like that you haven't seen before, but when they do happen, you just kind of go, "Whoa, I wasn't expecting that." So, but I liked it. It's getting very mixed reviews. Uh, last time I checked it was at the 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of people hate it, a lot of people like it. I will say it gets tedious in uh, near the middle where they just keep pounding that his life sucks. I wanted to stand up and say, "I get it." His life sucks. You've sold me. I understand why he is going to lose his mind. But uh, once they, they when they they really bring it home, like the the final thirty minutes are just tremendous. So I liked Joker. I give it four couch cushions out of five. You can hear more of the review in the Couch Potatoes podcast, which is now available, or you can listen to the Couch Potatoes on CJOB tomorrow at noon, Sunday at six.
0: Loren, it looks like you made the uh, good decision to bail on the island. And Jeff, pay attention here. <laughs> One of our <laughs> listeners says the whole dang series it is just awful, and the ending is
3: even worse.
0: Really.
9: So Now I want to to see the ending,
3: see how bad it is.
9: I (laughs) might come
2: back in. I might be back in.
1: Look at that. It's an admonishment to stay away, but the curiosity (laughs) of Jeff (laughs) Rod and Loren McNabb, they want to see How bad could it be? How bad it is. Oh, my God. (laughs) MacLean McGarry and McNabb, we learned something interesting about Conservative leader Andrew Scheer yesterday. He's an American citizen. Yeah, he holds
0: dual citizenship. And in a statement to media late yesterday afternoon, a spokesperson for Scheer responded to a report by the Globe and Mail that said Scheer had obtained the American citizenship from his father as a child and was in the process of renouncing it. He was asked why he is renouncing it. Is it for tax purposes? No, not at all. Uh, the, uh, I was born in Canada. I've I've lived
10: here. I've moved to Saskatchewan. I'm raising my children here, uh, and it was a you know it's a personal born decision. Here. I was never asked about it from Canadians. I've actually been very honest about it. My my father's always been very open uh, about where he's come from, and uh, that's uh, and uh, I, I haven't uh, I, I haven't been asked the question. So you've been honest, never, honest
3: about it. You've never told anybody. About it. Well, I've never
10: been asked about it. I've never I've okay, never but hit that's
3: hit. Concealing it's my omission. Look can you just with
10: a I would disagree. As a, as I said, uh, I uh, like millions of Canadians have one parent who happened to be born in another country. Born in Canada, lived here my entire life, raising my children here in Canada, and uh, made the decision to renounce my U.S. citizenship and started the process.
2: In fact, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer said yesterday it was always his intention to renounce his American citizenship before this month's election.
10: I was born in Canada. My mom was born in Mississauga. My dad was born in the United States. I grew up my whole life in Canada, and uh, and that's how I've always uh, never tried to hide behind.
2: One of the sticking points here is that he was also repeatedly asked, isn't it a bit hypocritical because he's criticized others for holding dual citizenship?
10: I I disagree. I I made the decision after I became leader of the party to to do this. And uh, and, I was focused on other things. Rebuilding the party, getting ready for the election, working on the platform. It was always my intention to do it before the election.
2: So he says he can't confirm that the process to renounce his U.S. citizenship will be finalized by the October 21st election. Global's Mercedes Stevenson has been on the campaign trail for the past uh, three or four weeks. Uh, joins us now. Good morning, Mercedes.
6: Good morning.
2: What are the other leaders doing with this? Does this have staying power or is this going to be a one-off and, and we'll move on after today?
6: Well, It'll be really interesting to see because Enra shared it not declare this openly and that becomes one of the problems in politics is whenever people don't come right out off the top and say look you need to know this i have dual citizenship uh which mutes a lot of the criticism it makes them potentially vulnerable. So the Liberals will have to see you know, exactly how they're gonna be reacting to this. I'm sure Justin Trudeau will have something to say about it, Jug Jagmeet Singh, look, there's lots of Canadians who have dual citizenship, especially with the US. That's not uncommon. But if you wanna lead the country, it opens some questions about why he didn't renounce it before now. Why not when he was initially elected uh, and chosen as leader of the party? He left it kinda of late and he didn't make it clear that this was the case. It's also been an issue in Canadian politics, before, uh, involving holding French dual citizenship. Uh, It's been an issue in American politics quite frequently. So it's not uncommon for this to become an issue in politics, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how people view this in the campaign and we start to get a sense of that in the polls in coming days
0: mercedes in a world where we've had the conversation i know we've had it on this station about the idea that the rock has some uh, ties to canada and potentially some canadian citizenship i just find it weird I, I guess for me the biggest thing is that it's odd that someone who's in the spot like this uh spotlight we do not know this about this person i think that might be the biggest shock for most people it's like how did we not know this how did we not know this
6: it 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 plays into the the problem for Andrew Shear that the liberals are building of you don't really know who you're dealing with. That's the message they're trying to send to him, uh, to Canadians about Andrew Scheer. Don't choose him because you don't know who you're dealing with. And so strategically for them, that's something they can really exploit and say, look, we didn't even know he had dual citizenship. That's not an uncommon thing to have. But it becomes very controversial sometimes when people want to leave the country and more so if you've not talked about it. Because then people go, well, do I really know who this guy is? I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether or not he is, he is or was a dual Canadian citizen. Uh, Sorry, dual American citizen. That's up for Canadians to decide. But it's not uh, scandalous. It's not necessarily a negative. But because of the whole framing around who he is as a leader and how the other parties are attacking him, the fact he wasn't upfront about it and the fact that he did not do this previously could become problematic for him.
1: And we're getting a lot of feedback at 204-780-6868. And by no means is this meant to imply that it's representative of the entire population. But the majority of the feedback coming in is something like, what does that matter? It's not like he lied about it. Or I'm not an Andrew Shear supporter, but the, having American citizenship is moot. Or I could care less where Shear is from. He's still distasteful regardless. So I'm just wondering, is this a, a situation where maybe a mountain is being made out of a molehill?
6: Welcome to elections. <laughs> so many things that might otherwise not be a big issue really get blown up in an election, and sometimes they can be a flash-in-the-pan story for 24 or 48 hours. Look, I, I don't think this is going to be an issue that's going to be what decides who people check on their ballot for most Canadians. But it, it, again, it's again, it's more about that larger picture that the Liberals and the NDP are trying to build of who Andrew Shear is. The fact that it's American citizenship, which most Canadians are quite comfortable with. I mean, they're our neighbour, they're our ally. It's, it's not a controversial citizenship to hold. But in politics, it's always because of the issue when someone wants to leave the country, if it turns out they have other citizenship, even if they've not hidden it, even if they've been completely open about it. In Andrew Shear's case, I think, honestly, a lot of people just don't know who he is, which is one of the things he struggled with, and therefore had no idea that his father was American, and therefore there was a good chance he might be a dual citizen.
1: Global's Mercedes Stevenson joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much, as always, Mercedes.
6: Thanks for having me, guys. (laughs)
1: Loren, it's one of the busiest liquor stores in the province.
2: Yeah, in the back alleys and sidewalks around the liquor store in Ellis, you can regularly spot empty bottles dropped by many of the customer's who frequented we know that's led to calls in the past that maybe liquor and lottery should shut that downtown liquor store just this week liberal leader Dougald lamont called on liquor and lotteries to close it they've said they're not going to do that and there are other people joining that opposition side to say you know what that's not going to make a difference one of them is the main street project rick lees is its executive director and joins us now good morning rick good morning so tell us about why it wouldn't help to close this store, because there's a lot of people saying that it's busy, it's part of the problem, and even a typical or a, a regular alcohol sold there, the bre- the Sherry, is, is part of the issue. So what what say you?
7: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the highest volume of that particular product uh, that's going to people dealing with chronic addiction around alcohol, there's no doubt about that. But by closing the distribution of that center, all you're going to do is move that to the next closest liquor store or the next available source. Um, So you're really not going to solve a problem. Um, The other reality is that if you try to keep it away in that manner, while I completely sympathize and understand where the thought process might have come for that, um, you're going to force people to either move up or down the supply chain. And our concern is... Um, because money is tight, uh, people move down the supply chain and into things that are more dangerous, like solvents and, uh, and things like that, which are very harmful. Uh, but, um, you know, they may move to hand sanitizer simply because it's less expensive.
0: Rick, you mentioned solvents, and there has been a move and was a move years ago in Winnipeg to put certain products, consumer products that could be used in a nefarious uh, way and for people to get to, to get high, for lack of a better word, uh,
7: behind the counter and under lock and key. Ha- has that worked at all? Uh, it does, but there's still a sort of a black market supply that people come out and prey on the most honourable. Um, and so when people get their EIA checks and so on, you can regularly see that those folks out there supplying that product to them. Um, so, where there's be money to made to be made, there will be people taking advantage of the uh, the most vulnerable.
1: That particular sherry, Rick. I mean, they sell thousands of bottles uh, versus the the other stores that maybe sell a couple of hundred. Uh, some yeah. say that the liquor and lot, the liquor marts are culpable in this, uh, that they're contributing to the problem because they have such a huge supply at that location. Uh, do you think they're part of the problem?
7: Um, I think that uh, they've, they've looked at the evidence around this, and, and I don't know that they're necessarily part of the problem. I mean, they're a distribution system, and uh, uh, at the end of the day, they're open to all. You're right, I think it's about 33,000 uh, uh, bottles of that particular product, so that's high. But that's going to people that are largely dealing with very long-term chronic addiction. So, so the answer, I think, from all sides is to really look at uh, treatment. Uh, and management Uh, about 18 months ago or so we put forward a proposal to actually have a controlled supply of that product through our facility including an an outpatient managed alcohol program and and we still think that those types of evidence-based responses to chronic addiction is a better response than simply trying to shutter uh, locations and forcing people to go further to find it.
2: Rick, 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 with the idea of that controlled program You mentioned that you put that proposal out 18 months ago. Where does that sit? The idea would be that people who have addictions can get controlled access to alcohol, potentially, say, at the Main Street Project. Was that idea just pitched, but it's still sitting on the shelves?
7: Uh, Yeah, I think it got some good traction. I mean, it's not our idea, obviously, in the sense that it's based on pretty strong evidence from other locations around the world um uh, but we put that forward as something that we might be able to do here even as a pilot and i think at the time we had suggested why don't we pilot it and see what kind of benefits are brought in and and then collect the data and share that um i'm not sure uh, to be honest with you I, I i don't i think it was well received um i'm just not sure at this point uh, where it sits to be honest
0: so is this <laughs> I don't want to tie it too directly, but is this the equivalent uh, of a safe injection site to a certain extent, Rick?
7: Uh, No, completely different things, completely different uh, uh, substance, completely different addiction in terms of alcohol and chronic alcohol use. So um, I wouldn't link the two together by any means. I think they're quite different.
1: All right, Rick Lees with The Main Street Project, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for the time, Rick. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Have a great day. We're going to talk about ice hockey in a moment. Kelly Moore is here with us. But before that, we just want to quickly revisit two topics. One, the liquor store. The other, Andrew Shear, Loren McNabb, uh, what are people saying about the liquor store on Ellis?
2: Well, of course, this is in response to the fact that more people, uh, Liberal leader Dougal uh, Lamont among them, pushing for the closure of that liquor store on Ellis because of what he says it's contributing to the drinking problem, substance abuse problems, potentially even a crime problem. We have one listener who's written in to talk to us about the fact that they work uh, with the patrol group in the Central Park area, which is kind of right behind that liquor store, and he says that part of the problem in terms of controlling substance abuse and all the rest has to do with patrols and he'd like to be able to expand the patrol. Troll team to that area because there's never a day he writes in our neighborhood that goes by without violence of some kind. When we sit in the park, we sit with our cell phones in hand and we have police and cadets on speed dial. So that's how substance abuse might be contributing to some crime in that area. Uh, another listener texted in to say that they spent three years in Thompson and you were talking this morning about the sherry, the sherry being one of the biggest purchases at that liquor store and thousands of bottles of that high alcohol sherry are purchased at the Ellis store every year. Well, this listener said, I spent three years in Thompson and the liquor mart there has boxes of Winchester sherry right behind the till. It sells so fast they don't bother putting it on the shelves. You can literally watch people walk in the door, go straight to the till and the cashier just hands them that bottle.
1: And then on the subject of Andrew Shear, which is, by the way, uh, about our question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Conservative leader Andrew Shear holds dual Canada-U.S. citizenship. Do you care? So far, 80% say nope. 20% say yeah. Doris texts Andrew Shear, don't care about his citizenship. What matters is... Can he run a country? Let's keep the right focus. Another listener text, didn't trust him before, even less now. And then on Twitter, a couple of people weighing in as well, including Ian Pfeiffer, who says, I do care that the media is trying to make this a bigger story than the two planes actually pushing the liberal offsets. B.S. Mike said, uh,
0: dual citizenship, uh, less of a big deal for me than dual planes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you can weigh in, 204-780-6868. We put the poll on Instagram. We put the poll on Twitter. Or you can just shoot us an email, mackling at cjob.com, McNabb at cjob.com, or brett at cjob.com. Now to the ice we go. Yeah,
0: the Winnipeg Jets. Well, sort of. Madison Square Garden, known for its poor ice Hmm. conditions. The Jets opening their 2019-2020 season at New York's Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, versus the Rangers and former Jet, Jacob Truba, who had three... points, by the way. Yesterday it was mentioned on this show that the Jets might play a few 7-5 games this year. Well, we were close. Goal scoring shouldn't be a problem for the Jets. The question uh, and the largest question mark surrounds how they will be able to keep the puck out of their own net. The Jets did blow a one-goal lead early in the third period and ultimately fell 6-4 in a very entertaining game. It was Connor Hellebuck who found his performance under the microscope following the game and in typical Hellebuck fashion, he wanted to know what all the fuss was about.
10: I liked a lot of my game. I I felt like I earned better. I feel like I played a lot better than five goals against and I don't know, it just seemed like the puck was always in the wrong spot for me tonight and... And if I look back at my tape, I probably won't do a whole lot different, but i got to do something because five is unacceptable.
7: Right. That second goal, I think, that
10: hit you in the mask,
4: mm-hmm. um, and then the rebound popped out, I think, to Panarin. Was that one, were you maybe a little dazed from getting hit there and weren't sure where the puck was?
10: A little bit dazed, and, you know, I felt it touch my blocker, so I kind of thought I had it for a second, and that's that half a second, and I realized I didn't. And it's right on his tape. I mean, it goes off my chin flat on his tape. That's, that's pretty rare, too.
0: Kelly Moore joins us now. And Kelly, Kelly was looking over his shoulder into the into the net
8: for the puck five times last night. Should he be looking for someone larger over one shoulder or the other? Uh, I, I don't know about that. But I do think that the opportunity is certainly there for Laurent Brossois to earn more net time. Uh, way, way too early, I think, to say Laurent Brossois is... Going to take over as the number one netminder of this team, but I I do think that if he plays well in New Jersey, then he gives Paul Maurice something to think about uh, going to Nassau County Coliseum for the third game of that road trip. Um, Connor Hellebuck was not the the problem; he was problem. He was part of the problem. I think he was about as average as the team playing in front of him defensively. And the trouble is, and, and you guys hit the nail on the head talking about high scoring games, uh, this team is going to need great goaltending if they in turn to be as strong defensively as they were in 17-18.
0: We've seen a little bit of a shift in terms of what makes a good save percentage without getting too deep into the weeds on this stuff, but an 839 save percentage, which is what Hellebuck had last night, and he's been 900 or under in several of his preseason games already this year, is not going to do it. Hellebuck has not looked... Like the
8: Connor Hellebuck from two seasons ago, he struggled a lot last year as well, in my mind. Yeah, he wasn't as good last year as he was the year before. Uh, and, and and so that probably contributed uh, to the issue as well. But, you know, to me, a goaltender is only as good as the people playing in front of him. And that breakaway goal by Mika Zabinijad you know, with all due respect, what the heck was Josh Morrissey doing way over on the left side boards? I mean, it was just the parting of the river. And and it's not like Zabinijad scored a weak goal on that breakaway. It was a beautiful back at her top shelf. So, you know, yeah, if, if the goaltender makes a spectacular save, great. But, you know, whose fault really is that? You know, and it was just a poor, poor defensive decision by Josh Morrissey. Who's the number one defenseman on this team? Who's being counted on as well? So let's not just hang it all. On Connor Hellebuck. Uh, there, there was plenty of responsibility to go around last night for the defensive breakdowns.
0: Last point on the goaltending. In order for this team to compete for a playoff spot, it's not going to be average goaltending that no, gets the Jets great. there. Yeah. It is going to be spectacular goaltending at times from either or and yeah. uh, Hellebuck and, and Lorraine Bressois.
8: Yeah, from both. Absolutely. And like, and like I say, Greg, I want to make this very clear. I am not trying to uh, say that there's a a goaltending controversy after one game, but I will say is with exactly what you pointed out, how Connor Hellebuck, he gave up a dozen goals in his three preseason appearances, and he did not have a particularly great start to last night. Then factor that into how last season went, and the opportunity, and how well Laurent Brossois played. The opportunity is there for more minutes. We'll see how it evolves over the course of the long season as to who will be the go-to guy. Who was the best forward on the ice last night for the Jets? I'd say Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah, not just because of the three assists. Like, he made a great play along the wall to steal the puck and set up a great scoring opportunity in the third period. He he was just flying out there. He seems very motivated uh, to put a so-so season uh, behind him. Uh, I really like the way that he played and how he fit in on that uh, Shifley-Wheeler line.
0: Was it John McLaughlin, the McLaughlin group on PBS, that used to say, You are correct! <laughs> Well, Kelly Moore,
8: you are correct. Thank you. Nikolihealers well, was the start best off the forward season well. yeah, on be the ice. A, You are incorrect <laughs> over the can, course of the year. <laughs>
2: can I make a dynamite drop in here right now? Is okay. it really Laurent or Laurent? Uh, I,
8: I just I, I, Laurent <laughs> Brossois. That's that. But however, you know, what it's what you guys are saying: pasta or pasta? Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so pick your. You know what? From now on, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna side st- stick handle around that. Uh, uh, Lauren or Loren. And,
2: uh... <laughs> That's why I'm asking, Kelly. Uh,
8: That's I I why don't. it matters to me. Yeah, he's an LB from now on, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, Kelly's just uh, saying it in English, as
1: to use Greg Farland <laughs> ah, some earlier. Please,
8: please. Um, oh. a, a busy weekend too for the Jets, right? They got two more games. It is. Yeah, they uh, well, they play in New Jersey tonight, and then of course they have the game on Long Island, and uh, you know all kinds of hockey, like the Manitoba Moose. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary season in Winnipeg, and they're opening their season tonight in San Antonio. The Winnipeg Ice had a great road trip last weekend, finally get back-to-back home games here against Edmonton and Vancouver. They're playing tonight and tomorrow night, and Mitch Peacock uh, is going to call those games, both 7.30 starts on cjob.com. So, yeah, just a ton of hockey, and then add the football. And I know what I'm doing this weekend. Well, there's a little bit of baseball going on. I oh, think they play class, NFL yeah. football on Sunday. They do? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So you might want to load up on the chips and dip. And yeah, maybe and I just... have
8: to emcee a Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame dinner tomorrow night. So I'm going to have the PVR is going to be just a smoking by the time Saturday ends. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: and by the way, it's a fridge magnet night tonight for the Winnipeg Ice. First, 1,000 fans through the door will receive a Winnipeg Ice fridge magnet. And then tomorrow, it will be zombie night where fans are encouraged to wear their best zombie costume so that sounds like a lot of fun over at wayne fleming arena kelly moore thank you very much for joining us sir Mm -hmm. mackling and mcgarry and mcnab on a friday morning on 680 cjob winnipeg jets are in action tonight but tomorrow It's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Greg Mackling. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Saskatchewan Roughriders, third of a three-game series. That will go
0: a long way in deciding who gets to host one of the, I guess, I want to be careful what I say here. (laughs) Bob Irving's uh, in Regina. Bob, I'm trying to be really uh, polite here. Uh, Someone's going to host the West semifinal. Someone's going to host the West final. Three weeks ago, it looked as though the Bombers were a shoe-in to host the West final in some people's eyes. And and now, uh, whether or not we even get to play in the West semifinal or a crossover (laughs) playoff is under uh, scrutiny and under consideration in a lot of people's eyes.
9: All things are possible, Greg, and I'm not sure that's a good thing for the Blue Bombers, but they could finish anywhere from first to fourth in the West Division. They'd pretty much have to win out, I think, to finish first. Uh, They have four games left, two against Calgary after meeting Saskatchewan here tomorrow and playing Montreal at home. Uh, To finish fourth, they'd probably have to lose all four of their remaining games. So, You know, it's going to be intriguing to see how this all plays out, but uh, the two losses in a row have certainly put the Bombers in a position where they absolutely now have to win pretty well every game they play starting tomorrow night here in Regina.
0: So Connor Hellebuck was under the microscope uh, on the ice last night, uh, as were the defensive uh, half-dozen for the Jets. Is it the defensive dozen of the Blue Bombers that are, are under the spotlight as we head into the game tomorrow, Bob?
9: Yeah. By the way, I watched uh, the Jets game, and they're going to have to score about five or six a, a night if they're going to win any. By the way, they played defensively last night, but that's another story. Uh, mm-hmm. The bomber, the bomber defensive dozen, yeah, they're under the, the spotlight for sure. They've played three uh, dreadful quarters in the last two games. The fourth quarter in Montreal, and the first two quarters against Hamilton last week. Uh, you know, I think uh, people are forgetting to some degree that. Those three quarters aside, this defense has played pretty darn well this year, and I don't see any reason why they they can't get back to that form. I know the players all feel that way. Brandon Alexander will be back in their lineup tomorrow, and that is not an insignificant move. He's going to play at safety. He's one of their better and harder-hitting defensive backs And they talked about some of the communication problems they had back there in the last two games. Well, he'll clean that up, I would guess, because he's a smart player and he will direct traffic back there in a way that hasn't been done before. So, yeah, I think there's a great onus on the defense for sure. And as I've said, I don't see any reason why they can't play a whole lot better than they have for periods of the last two games. So
2: Bob, these two teams are one and one so far this year, each having a win. But the Riders are eight and one in their last nine games. How much more momentum do they have going in, and how much difference do you think that makes? Just being the team that's more on top, so to speak.
9: Yeah, if you believe in momentum, Lorraine, the Riders have a big advantage. You're right; they have won eight of nine after starting the season one and three. They have really been one of the great stories of this year in terms of teams. I think surprising people to a degree. Craig Dickinson, their coaches a leading candidate to be coach of the year. I'm not sure how much of an advantage that is for the Riders. So the Bombers have played the Riders very well. They lost uh, that tough game here on Labor Day weekend by two points, and then they mauled Saskatchewan 35-10 in the Banjo Bowl back in Winnipeg. So, you know, I guess if you're a believer in momentum, you think the Riders have a bit of an edge. Uh, I'm never quite sure how much... That really matters, so I don't put a lot of stock into it. Let's put it that way.
1: And I see that neither the Bombers or the Riders have a receiver in the CFL's top 10 for receptions or receiving yardage. In fact, it's Andrew Harris who leads the Bombers with 57 catches. Uh, So in terms of the game we're going to see tomorrow, is it going to be more on the ground?
9: Well, you know, the Bombers are always going to be run heavy. That's the way they live. Uh, thats I don't think that's going to change, Brett, to tomorrow. Uh, you know, Chris treveller, the coaches believe, and, and I believe too, has uh, improved and he's progressed each game he's played with his with his passing game. I tell you, if they played the game right now, it would be tough to throw because I was just outside and there's a wicked wind blowing here in Regina. But I expect the ground game to be the, the focus of the Bombers, but they're going to have to pass it too. Uh, Saskatchewan... Uh, with their running back, they, uh, they're very successful on the ground. But their quarterback, Cody Fajardo, has really been uh, excellent at passing the ball, too. So I think we'll see uh, a little bit of both. The Bombers won't have Drew Walitarski in the lineup tomorrow night. We've just learned that he's injured and will not play. And so Daniel Peterman, a young Canadian, will take his spot in that receiving core. I know everybody thinks the Bombers are going to have to throw the ball better than they have if they're going to have success, and, and I agree with that. Uh, and maybe it'll start tomorrow night, but the the ground game and that features Chris Trevler, uh will always be you know a, a staple for this offense. It's just the way it's built.
0: Bob, I guess I can't understand if we're talking about uh, the fact that the bombers and it's no secret if they're going to win. They're going to have to run successfully. And Hamilton, just for those that don't realize, the only team that the Bombers have not been able to rack up 100-plus yards on this season is Hamilton twice. Every other game this year, they've run for over 100 yards. And that's sort of a magic mark when you're throwing for decent numbers. But there's an increased onus on the running game. I don't understand why we're not seeing a little more Johnny Augustine and Andrew Harris in the backfield. Maybe some more old-fashioned eye formation stuff or almost a wishbone – U.S. college system in order to, you know, yeah, we're going to run, but we're going to make it really difficult for you to figure out who's going to be running the ball.
9: Well, I would only say to that, Greg, that it's really hard when you've got an offensive system that the Bombers have, it's hard to, if you're going to switch to that kind of an attack, uh, it's difficult to make it, you know, a major focus because you've built through 14 games. Now you've built a certain style of offense that you play in a certain game plan with certain plays uh, you know, you're going to have to change things up pretty dramatically to use two running backs at the same time. Now, having said that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of that tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they've just, uh, just got to go with what, as Mike O'Shea said on Monday, you dance with the ones that brung you. <laughs> they've got to go with what's worked for them. And it's worked well. The running game has worked well this year. So I don't see any reason to make major changes. Johnny Augustine will be in the lineup and, and available. So maybe they're channeling what you're thinking. Greg, and we'll see some of that tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I won't hold my breath on that. Real quick before we go, Bob, you were in a little bit of a Twitter war. That's becoming a usual thing for you uh, with some with some folks with regard to a rumor coming out of uh, a CFL insider, Davis Sanchez, saying that it's imminent uh, that the Bombers are going to be trading for a quarterback from Toronto. Your sources are saying that's not accurate. Put that aside, should the Bombers be doing everything they can to to get an experienced quarter a quarterback in here just in case they they manage to to go on a run here and in case the uh, you know unthinkable happens and seventeen gets hurt?
9: Well, when you say everything they can, if that includes giving up a first round draft pick to get a James Franklin or a McLeod Bethel Thompson out of Toronto, and those would be the only ones available, Greg, really, uh, then I say no. I say you take your chances, and I'm not a Franklin fan anyway. Uh, I don't know that he'd be any better than what they have now. The same with McLeod, Bethel, Thompson. They'd have to come in here and learn the offense, and how quickly could they do that? You know, everybody loves to talk about, oh, go get a veteran quarterback. It's easier said than done, first of all. And secondly... Um, I don't know if it's feasible this late in the season to bring another quarterback in. So, hey, but if the two guys they have now, Sean McGuire and and Strebler, get hurt, then people are going to be screaming from the rooftops about why they didn't do it. But, uh, you know, they're going to stay the course, and we'll see how that works out.
0: Maybe Michael Bishop is available. Hey, uh, Bob Irving. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back a decade, for those that don't know. Hey, uh, when do things get underway here on CJOB?
9: Well, the game starts here at 5 in Regina, but given that the people in Saskatchewan are a little backward, that's 6 o'clock Winnipeg time. (laughs) So we'll be on the air with our pregame show at 4 Winnipeg time, which is 3 here in Saskatchewan. I don't know if they'll ever catch up.
1: All right, Bob Irving, thank you so much for joining us as always.
9: Okay. Bob Irving,
1: voice of the Winnipeg (laughs) Blue Bombers.
9: Pregame at 4, kickoff
1: at 6 tomorrow on CJOB. It's a must win.
0: Yeah. Bombers yeah, got to win. Most definitely. And if uh, Edmonton wins tonight in Hamilton? Yikes. What is that, that? Where would that put Edmonton? That would put Edmonton 2 points behind the Blue Bombers, and okay. that's fourth place in the CFL West. The fourth place team crosses over to mm-hmm. the East to play the East semifinal because the other 3 teams in the league are out of the playoff picture. So, yeah, this could be much different playoff picture come Monday morning, if things go a certain fashion:
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Wherever you find your favorite podcasts, subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, Tell us what you think.